This is the World Cafe. I'm Raina Duris. Roy Orbison was very shy. He wore sunglasses on stage to help him conquer stage fright. His image was that of a brooding introvert. Not a cool dude, not a macho hunk. His love songs weren't usually the happy kind. They were the unrequited love kind. You might say he wrote love songs for losers. So it makes sense that the Lone Bellows' new album, which they recorded in Roy Orbison's old house in Nashville, might take inspiration from songs like that. The album is called Love Songs for Losers. It came out back in November. And coming up, you'll hear my conversation with the band as well as live performances from them. Guitarist and lead vocalist Zach Williams, multi-instrumentalist Kaneen Donahay-Pipkin, and guitarist and vocalist Brian Elmquist. They'll tell you all about what Roy Orbison's house was like and why love and human relationships were on their mind this time around. They kick things off with a live performance of a song from Love Songs for Losers, The Lone Bellow, recorded live at the World Cafe, wherever your heart is. I'm getting real good at talking to strangers Good with the silence Cussing and prayer is the Long road to our house, we should get started. I've seen the signs of tall tale danger. What do you say when the words aren't there? It's a long road to
Performed live for the World Cafe, that was The Lone Bellow with Wherever Your Heart Is. It's a song from their new album, Love Songs for Losers. And The Lone Bellow joined me today. Zach, Kaneen, Brian, welcome back to the World Cafe. Hello. For editing purposes and for people who can't see you, could you each say your full name and what you do in the band? Starting with Kaneen. You want to go first? My name is Kaneen, and I sing and play instruments in the band. (laughs) Uh, my name's Zach. Uh, I stand in the middle and sing, uh, and I play the acoustic guitar and some electric guitar, <laughs> but never lead guitar. <laughs> my name is Brian Umquist, and I'm here for comic relief. Great. And I sing sometimes, yes. I love it. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, you know, last time I talked to you was in 2020, when you just released your last album, Half Moonlight. You told me about the biggest fight that you'd had in the studio. Mm. I went back and listened to it again. The biggest fight you had in the studio during the making of that album, when Zach buttoned the top button of his jacket, and Brian said, that's funny you buttoned the top button, and things uh, erupted. Mm -hmm. This time around, what was the biggest stupid fight you had? I don't think there was a stupid fight at the house. I think maybe y'all were still too embarrassed about the last one. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bad. I think this, it was, you know, the first record we ever self-produced. And we made the record. We found Roy Orbison's old house. It's crazy. It's right next to Johnny Cash's burned down house. It's right across the street from Johnny Cash's mother's house where Cash actually passed away. And there's just so much history at this place it's like a 7,000 square foot house that's kind of like a huge cabin built in the 70s. There's only two bedrooms. Both bedrooms were like 400 square feet apiece. And the rest of the house was just massive party rooms. Just like whatever went down, debauchery back then. Um, so we had the chance of making that house a studio. And we were just able to like have fun. It was honestly like a really inspiring few weeks um yeah and Kaneen was able to finally pay really close attention to the vocals and she like Mm -hmm. produced the vocals and we had honestly never really had time to do that before yeah Um, but we're gonna I'm gonna dig into all of that stuff in a little bit but let's go back to the house for a second you you had the chance to record there how did that how did the chance to record in Roy Orbison's (laughs) old house yeah come about well um during covid I got into just finding weird old properties around Nashville, and I found this one guy, he was a builder named Braxton Dixon, and he only built 55 houses in his lifetime. He built the first one when he was 14, and then the last one when he was 93, and he, uh, he would do a road trip around the country with his wife and take apart old 
barns and cabins and then built these like massive it's kind of like the Frank Lloyd wrong of the <laughs> south these like massive crazy houses and they were all for the country star greats so it was like but a lot of them burned down like Tammy Wynette's burned down Roy's first one burned down Cash's burned down a few cabins burned down but anyways I found his widow and I went and met with her and she just she was like she was like the lady from Grey Gardens, but lived in the South. And she had the most insane stories. And one of the stories that she told was that Roy's house sits empty. And I was like, oh. So we looked up who owned it, and we, like, cold-called the guy and just pitched, like, hey, what if we made music in this house again? Would you be up for it? How much would it cost to rent? And he just gave it to us for several weeks. He was like, just, make, just do it. I love it. Um, and I hear it, it uh, was supposed to be haunted as well. Yeah, Brian can tell you about that. Yeah, did you see any evidence of it being haunted, Brian? I don't know. There's one morning that I woke up and it was like I felt somebody holding my wrist or something. But I don't know. Maybe we just caught up in the moment. But Like three or four in the morning? In the beach, yeah, it was you know? really early. I had to stay there because I had to quarantine from my family so we could make the record. It was really – it was a pool that Marty Stewart – Put his bedroom over. Yeah, um, so just an empty no women basement. made any decisions. No, there's two bad decisions in the bathroom. There's just like two toilets right next to each other and a phone, and then like several upholstered chairs from like Pier One. That was a power meeting place. <laughs> <laughs> Come here, Jimmy. So I mean, it sounds like you had fun there, but how did that atmosphere and that environment, you know, recording in Roy Orbison's old, potentially haunted giant party house? How did that seep into the actual music making? Mm. I mean, when we were putting our songs together, what we had worked on and we were really proud of, like we had accidentally wrote a bunch of love songs. And to serendipi serendipitously uh, go into Roy Orbison's house, who, in my opinion, wrote some of the best love songs ever written, and he knew how to sell it, and it was so, you know, like, crying, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, it's so sad and beautiful at the same time to like be able to bring our songs into that atmosphere and want to be on that level um, and how they created their music live and in a room and wanting you to actually live in the record with us because this you, you hear everything that's going on in the room. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, regardless of all the editing that happened, a lot of that stuff was left there. So it's, it's a very pretty. We want you to live in the, and get to know the record instead of just like being an observer almost, you know? Mm -hmm. Could you pick a Roy Orbison song for us to listen to, and then we'll come back and talk some more? Oh, man. Crying, I just said it. Yeah, it's beautiful. Right. Roy Orbison, Crying, on World Cafe. I thought that I was over you, but it's true, so true. That was a bit of Crying by Roy Orbison. You're listening to World Cafe. The Lone Bellow are my guests today, and they recorded their latest album, Love Songs for Losers, in Roy Orbison's old 
potentially haunted house. While we're on the topic of houses, we're going to hear you perform Homesick next. And it's not just a song on the new album. It's also the theme song for a new renovation show that you're on, Zach. Oh, Lord. Called The Williams <laughs> Family Cabin, uh, which follows you and your wife, Stacy renovating your own cabin. How did you end up doing a renovation TV show? Well, so my wife owns a, uh, a beautiful antique shop with her really good friend, Monica, uh, in downtown Nashville called Patina & Co. And over the past few years, it's grown to like this really special shop in the city. We had the idea of, um, we looked for an old cabin and we were going to make it like her store's cabin where you could come and stay there and like Stacy and I decorated it and like come and be inspired here. And word got around to some like production friends up in New York and they know how ridiculous my wife and I are when we're like communicating to each other. And they were just like, if we pay for the renovations, will you do the TV show? And I was like, absolutely. Follow me home with a camera. Do whatever you need to do. Stacy was like, a little more, I don't want to do that. She was worried about it. And she didn't, she honestly didn't like it. She didn't like doing it. But it made for good TV. Yeah. But they also edited me. <laughs> I mean, it's not that hard to edit me <laughs> really uh, to look like I don't know what I'm doing with power tools, <laughs> but they really leaned in and I'm, I'm really proud of how it came. You know, like Fred Willard's character in Best in Show, mm -hmm. where he's just like, get the dog a little cap and a, and a pipe. That's basically all this act does. <laughs> what was the biggest uh, handy thing you'd done before doing renovation on your cabin? <laughs> oh, that's a great question. Well, whenever I do handy stuff, I always like show Brian the like before and after and he's always like, man, you got to get a GoPro just so people can see, like, the fast decisions that you make when you're using your hands. I mean, when I lived with my parents on their farm, like, I rebuilt the deck on the barn. But, like, I did it my way. I just nailed it down on, on the ground and then, like, took a saw and just, like, went, all the way across. And was like, that looks nice. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's kind of that vibe, you know. There was several times where the crew, like, the actual like working crew would do the work and then they, they, they would just be like, all right, now give Zach the big saw. And I'd come in and be like, hey guys. And I would just saw something. They're like, okay, we got it. And I was like, I am a man, I think. That's honestly not a bad deal. They pay and do the work and you just have to hold a saw now and then on TV. Well, it was our crew that we hired, but yeah, they yeah. paid for our crew. Amazing. It was, it was pretty fun. I'm speaking with the Lone Bellow on World Cafe. Homesick has some really vivid imagery that I think might make people nostalgic, even if they aren't their own memories. You have a mama calling out for Kool-Aid. She's cleaning catfish. You're out catching crawdads. Um, Zach, you wrote the song. How autobiographical is it? Yeah, um, very. This song has a, a really special meaning to me. It was, it was the night that John Prine went to heaven. And I was, you know, like everybody, just like sad and worried. And it was a time of a lot of confusion, and I didn't know John Prine personally. We had had the honor of singing with him a few times on stage, but it was just something about, like, knowing that that wit and brevity and kindness is not with us anymore. I couldn't sleep that night, and I'd, I had that line that, if you're homesick, it's your heart telling your mind that you love somebody. And I finally just went downstairs and... 
it was one of those songs that just wanted to be written, so it just happened real fast. And the both of the verses are just memories from growing up on my grandparents' farm in Cartersville, Georgia. And I'm so thankful that the song made the record. It's a really beautiful one. We're going to hear you perform it live right now. This is The Lone Bellow, Homesick. Watch the sunset through the grass blades. And the bats were coming in to dance on my street. My jeans were still wet, catching crowdings. And all the lightning bugs were lightning just to be. It's a short life, but it's a good life for my family. Your homesick is your heart telling your mind that you love somebody. You got regrets. There's a possibility that you got something. Check off your list. It's a long walk home and a short life to live. Me and my mom. Call out the cooling. I was swinging for the fence that summer's eve. I'm all clean. Grandpa's catfish. She always warned me of how sharp the fence could be. It's a short life, but it's a good life for my family. Your heart telling your mind that you love somebody. You got regrets. There's a possibility that you got something to check off your list. It's a long walk home and a short life. Possibility that you got something to check off your list. It's a long walk home and a short life. It's a long walk home and a short life to live. It's a long walk home and a short life. A short life to live. 
On World Cafe, that was a live performance of Homesick, a song from the Lone Bellows' new album, Love Songs for Losers. I'm Raina Duris, talking to Zach, Brian, and Kanine of the Lone Bellow today. Uh, you guys have worked with lots of big-name producers like Dave Cobb and Aaron Dessner. Uh, this time around, Brian, you co-produced the record with Jacob Sutter. Yeah. Why did you want to take the reins this time? I just wanted to get out on a limb with my friends, honestly. I think we could have reached out to Aaron again, but I mean, and, I mean, to be in a room with Aaron Desner and watch him create is amazing. His whole crew, Dave Cobb, the same. They've got their own, their whole universe around them. I just thought that we could do it and we could be better for it and learn a lot. Um, so I asked him to, to jump in with me and get, and get like, you know, up to our chin in the water and scare each other. So, and I, we had enough guardrails around us and, and I had been producing a lot during COVID. So I had a, a lot of really great people around us to support and everybody just came and, and did way better than I ever think we, we could have done. Um, and that's what's beautiful about making music because it's supposed to, 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 let, to open your mind to bigger um, thoughts and ideas and for the listener and the people that are making it. Like, oh, my, we made that, we can make, we, what, what else can we make? What is something that you learned from the, doing the production side of things? <sighs> With Aaron, we never got to the heights, and, but all the beautiful, intricate stuff he does. And with Dave Cobbs, we got there. We never had that. We never, we never had the full picture. And I was, I've always said, I mean, Zach's probably tired of me saying, I was like, I think we can do everything. We can do like Georgia Will, this crazy um, Brian Seltzer, like crazy guitar thing. And then we can also do this wherever your heart is, which is just intricate and harmonics and, be and beautiful. And uh, that's, that's where I want to sit as a band. And I think we just got there. It, maybe by luck, maybe everything just came together perfectly. Maybe next time it'll be not be fun, but this time it was incredible. So, yeah. Zach and Kaneen, how would you describe Brian as a producer? <laughs> I love his love for parts. He likes to find like a specific guitar part and he'll just go down the rabbit hole with that thing for hours. But I think it was also really nice. You know, after we did all the instrumentation, it was like, okay, now it's time to sing. And usually we don't have time, honestly. Usually it's like, because producers love all of the sonic things that happen with the instrumentation. And then they're like, oh, you guys sing. So go do that now. And then we're done. And this time we had like several weeks for Kaneen to get behind the steering wheel. And Maybe you could explain, because I mean, the, the term producer can be a nebulous one. It doesn't always, like, there's lots of different things that could qualify as production. Mm. For a vocal producer, what does that mean you're doing? It can mean a lot of different things, but I, I think for me, it's finding the right performance and the right textures. Really finding all of the nuance in a voice is so fun to explore. And if you've sung with people for over a decade, you're like, oh, I remember how you sang that one night when you were really tired and you had that gravel and you didn't really care. And I want that for this song. And I want that kind of subtle, instead of just like coming in and being like, ah! you know, singing at people. It's so fun to explore all of those little things. And the the voice changes. It changes as you age. It changes depending on how much water you've had to drink or how much sleep you've had. So for me, it's so fun to, to go through that and really try to get every little thing that you can. I want to play some of the song that you sing on the album, Cost of Living. What can you tell us about this song? 
Ooh, um, I actually, somebody sent me a track. So it was just an instrumental track, um, different key, different BPM. But I wrote this whole song uh, on top of it during uh, during quarantine. And it, it's just kind of a song about grief and kind of feeling like you should have seen something coming and then you didn't and you feel a little bit foolish and sad and trying to figure out how to move past it. Here's Cost of Living from The Lone Bellow. I don't know what grows from these tears that hit the ground No shoulder to cry on No comfort in the sound And I can't From their album, Love Songs for Losers, The Lone Bellow, Cost of Living. We're going to hear another song from that album before we're done here today. But first, you're performing a cover for us. It's a classic love song originally done by Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers, Islands in the Stream. And I know you've performed this cover live in front of audiences many times. Why do you enjoy playing this song so much? This song's got such a great sense of humor about it. And you can, like, really feel their friendship. Um... And there's just some lines that are just, like, really funny to sing three-part. <laughs> if you're, like, really listening to the lines, it's like, wow, they just, did they sing that to each other? That's complicated. <laughs> um, but I think for me, you know, the first time we ever sang this live was at the Bluegrass Situation tent at Bonnaroo. And Ed Helms was in charge of the whole thing. And it was just, like, this magical, magical day. Uh, I remember Rita Houston was like waiting for us mm. off stage and it was like boiling hot and I decided to wear a full polyester suit, probably <laughs> with a vest. And I don't know, I think about that moment every single time we sing this song. Here's the Lone Bellow performing live for World Cafe, Islands in the Stream. I set out to get you in the fine tooth comb I was soft inside There was something going on You do something to me that I can't explain Hold me close and then I feel no pain Every beat of my heart We got something going on Tender love is blind all this love we feel Need no conversation We ride it together uh-huh. Making love with each other uh-huh. Islands in the stream That is what we are Nowhere in between How can we be wrong Sail away with me To another world We can rely on each other from one lover to another I can't live without you if the love was gone Everything is nothing if you got 
too deep in love and we got no way out and the message is clear this could be the year for the real thing no more will you cry baby i will hurt you never started in it as a one in love forever and we ride it together oh making love with each other Share the remedy to another world We can rely on each other oh, From one lover to another oh, Islands in the street That is what we are No one in between How can we be wrong? Share the remedy to another world We can rely on each other The Lone Bellow, Islands in the Stream. They recorded that live for World Cafe. Zach, Kaneen, Brian of The Lone Bellow are my guests today. Their new album is called Love Songs for Losers. When we last spoke during the pandemic in 2020, uh, there were a lot of, you know, lockdowns were happening. People couldn't be close to the people that they loved. Now you've written an album that really kind of centers around human relationships. Mm. Why were human relationships top of mind for you when you started writing this album? Hmm. I always boil it down to like specific lines and songs. Um, so for me, that song Unicorn, it portrays a person that's stumbling over their words and like their words are failing them. And that happens to me all the time. Like when the rubber meets the road and I'm trying to tell someone how much I care about them, I usually can't. Um, so the line is like, uh, I've never been good at saying the real thing. I know I should, but I'm bad at pretending. I could say I love you, but it's such a bore. I think God made a unicorn. And it's like, I was kind of thinking I could tell you my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Sit you down and wreck you with some words that are pretty. Uh, I could say I love you, but I want to say more. I think God made a unicorn. And like that sums up for me, like that's the middle of the of the spoke on this record. And it, and the title of the record is kind of a in case you feel the same kind of vibe. Um, but then there's so many other songs like it, like on Honey, my wife does not like it when I call her Honey or Baby. So that's what the verses are about. And But then the chorus and the bridge is like trying to bring yourself back to the life that should be there, like in your relationship. Um, and it just happened over and over again. And I think we, you know, we were, we were working on these songs. Brian found this old church cause all the sanctuaries were shut down. Right. Mm. So this old, beautiful sanctuary is where we wrote the majority of these songs. And I think that that room lent itself to some beautiful melodies cause it would just bounce off the walls and we were there for hours and we had a chance to stop. Yeah. It was awful. And that thing we don't speak of anymore. But if you, if you, for me, I got to stop and see 
I just see what's around me. And there was some, a lot of rich, th in, in, the, in the chaos, there was so much rich love and beauty around me. And I really do think that came out in our songwriting. Yeah. It can be hard um, writing honest love songs. <laughs> you know, I feel like it's easy to fall into like cliche or corniness and stuff like that. You guys don't do that on this record. Um, but what, what are the challenges of writing a great, simple, honest love song? I think it's one of the hardest ones to do. Like, you have to have the brevity, you know, three and a half minutes. You got to tell your story. I think that that's why, like, a three and a half minute, four minute song has lived for, you know, 70, 80, 100 years now. Because the good ones, it's such a challenge to do that and to do it well. And to have the courage of Michael Bolton, you know. I did <laughs> start listening to a lot of Michael Bolton like a year before we made this record and I thought it was just like hilarious like like Brian Adams too like the Robin Hood soundtrack I was like these dudes are just swinging for the fences it's just like I want to be your hero I will die whatever <laughs> and you know the significant other is just like just take me to the cheesecake factory have a conversation and, with no. <laughs> just <laughs> Locate your own food in the refrigerator without asking me to do it. This is the World Cafe. I'm speaking to the Lone Bellow. The last song we're going to hear you perform for us today is another one that was inspired by your wife, Zach, the song Honey. Does she prefer being called Honey or Unicorn? Uh, yeah, I guess... Uh, I guess I'll try Unicorn. We'll see how that goes. She doesn't. She doesn't like... She thinks it's lazy when I call her Honey or Baby. She usually knows that I'm just being facetious. So that's kind of what, yeah, that's like the base of the verses of this one. Have you come up with any creative terms of endearment that she does like? Just like a sound, maybe. <laughs> like, <on> hey. <laughs> or maybe ma'am. Ma'am. <laughs> Every lady's dream should be called ma'am. Hey, ma'am, can I have some of that soup? Um, when I listened to Honey, one thing I noticed was there's a lot of stuff that you do in this song that's really, really dangerous. Um, going out to the middle of the street in the middle of the night, driving with the pedal to the floor with the radio up and the headlights off, which yeah. is terrifying. It's really reckless stuff. How does that relate to falling in love? How does that stuff fit into a love song? I mean, it's like it goes back to the initial parts of a relationship where like you could make or ruin someone's life in an afternoon. Like it's that powerful. It's that potent of like, Oh my gosh, who is this? What's going on? I'm really falling for this person. That wreck, that recklessness that happens. Like I want that now almost 20 years in a marriage and I want that for everybody like I and and you have to fight for it and it's worth the it's worth the tussle here is the lone bellow performing honey live for world cafe
Performed live for the World Cafe, that was the Lone Bellow, Honey. You'll find that song on their latest album, Love Songs for Losers. Zach, Kanine, and Brian of the Lone Bellow have been my guests today. Thank you all so much. Thank, Thank you. you Thank you so much. I'm Rena Duras, back in a moment with more World Cafe.